Declaring bankruptcy may spell the end for some, but for legendary investor Mark Lazary, it could mean the opportunity of a lifetime. But before he made his billions, Lazary's career began in the courtroom, learning the nuts and bolts of liquidation until teaming up with his sister to launch their own investment firm. Now, with more than $9 billion in assets under management, Lazary has expanded his portfolio to include an ownership stake in the NBA's Milwaukee Bucks franchise. In this episode of Influencers, Avenue Capital's CEO Mark Lazary joins me to discuss the family's business, the health of the U.S. economy, and the upcoming NBA season. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Mark Lazary, who is the CEO of Avenue Capital and also the co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks and a member of the National Finance Committee for Joe Biden. Mark, nice to see you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. First of all, for those of us who aren't so familiar with Avenue, why don't you talk a little bit about what you guys do there? Sure. Mainly, we're a global investment firm. And we invest, uh, you know, throughout the whole world. Uh, we manage approximately about $10 billion. And what we try to do is, you know, stay at the top of the capital structure and try to invest solely in senior debt or do bilateral deals where we're lending people money on a secured basis um, so that we end up having all the assets of that company. You guys are known for being um, specialists in distressed opportunities. Yep. And um, wow, I'm wondering what the environment is like right now. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. The environment's actually pretty good. You've got a lot of companies that are in trouble. Um, part of that is because what you really have in the world today is sort of the haves and the have-nots. And what I mean by that, the haves are the companies who have liquidity, who've been able to borrow money. And so for them, they, they've got the ability to wait this virus out until people come back. The have-nots are companies like a JCPenney, like Hertz. You know, a couple of days ago, Chuck E. Cheese filed for bankruptcy. Today, Chesapeake Energy filed. Companies that don't have the liquidity, so therefore they've got to end up filing so that they can end up having a stay and they don't have to pay their debts while they're working out a restructuring. So for us today, huge amounts of opportunities because of what's going on. And I think even subsequent to Chesapeake, I just saw Cirque du Soleil cross the tape. Did you see that one? No, I didn't see that. That's uh, I love that company. Well, take a look right after the call. All right, I will. Thank you. So, um, of course, it's you know a, a sad thing for for the employees, often cases, and you know other investors as well. It's, it can be a difficult period. I know you said that this might actually be a, a more interesting time than the Great Recession of two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Why is that? Well, if you think back, two thousand eight, two thousand nine. What we were worried about was whether the system was going to be around, right? That, that's really what the big thing was. Today, we know we're going to be around. The question is, how quickly do things come back? So if you sort of think about it, um, you know, a couple of weeks ago, everybody was really excited, thinking, well, it looks like we're going to be able to come out, that, you know, the economy was reopening. 
retail sales were up. And now all of a sudden it seems like, you know, you took a step backwards and now you're going to take two steps back um, because of what's happening in Texas and in Florida. So I, I think that's going to be a process. And because of that, it's just going to take longer. And the longer it takes, the worse it's going to be for companies. So you just reeled off a bunch of names there. I mean, you've got everything from Neiman's to Chesapeake. They're all different, obviously. How do you assess companies and how do you decide which ones make for good investments? Well, I think first, um, a lot of it is sort of a question of price, right? Where are they trading? That's number one. And then number two is what's the collateral value? So if you take a look at a JCPenney, that secure debt is trading around 35, 40 cents on the dollar. So they've got 850 stores. So now you look at that and say, all right, well, if that company had to liquidate, what are you going to be able to sell that, you know, those stores for? So for us right now, everything is really about trying to figure out um, what's the value of that collateral that you have and what's the price that it's trading at. So you've just got to do a tremendous amount of work on all these things. Can you generalize about retailing? And are there any of those retail names that you've gotten into already? Well, we've, we've invested in uh, JCPenney. We've invested in Macy's. So main reason for those two, Macy's actually has the liquidity to last um, that we think over the next couple of years and that ultimately Macy's is going to get market share. Um, I think JCPenney, what we're comfortable there with is that at the end of the day, the collateral value in JCPenney is very high. So that I hope JCPenney is going to be able to turn around. I hope that people will come back and start spending money in those stores. But if they don't, we're comfortable with the value of where that's trading. So those right now are the only two. The problem with a J. Crew is J. Crew, a lot of the value is in the leases. I just don't know what that value is today, or are people going to want to pick up those leases? And Neiman Marcus is. Um, there's a lot, there's value there, but the problem is on the real estate, you've just got a lot less stores. So therefore one, two or three locations could have actually a pretty material impact on the value of your package. Um, so that's sort of why I think for us um, in Neiman Marcus, we've stayed away from that. We used to own it, we sold it. Whereas JCPenney, you just have a little bit more, you just have more collateral and you've just got a lot more stores. Does it matter one way or the other, generally speaking, Mark, if a company liquidates versus emerges as a going concern for you? Yeah, um, absolutely. We'd rather it's a going concern um, because ultimately, if it is, we're either going to get paid out on our senior debt or we're going to end up owning the equity of that company. So obviously, we'd like to create cheap equity in all these companies and we'd love them to survive because that's better for us. It's better for everybody. I think one name I saw you talking about recently, which is, well, controversial maybe even now, is Hertz. Yeah. And, you know, the SEC weighed in. What, what's the story there? And do you see value in that particular uh, business? Well, there's a lot of value in Hertz, especially on the secured debt. And the reason is oh, that whole collateral is all the cars. So the cars are new or they're one year old. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of value in Hertz. The problem for Hertz and the reason they filed is 
they actually needed liquidity. So, um, you know, to end up having, they had a certain amount of cash and then they needed debtor in possession financing. Um, the reason the SEC came in is because the value of that stock had moved up. So it was actually better for Hertz as opposed to borrowing money to end up issuing shares. You know, the problem with that is intellectually that makes a lot of sense. But when you've got the unsecured debt of Hertz is trading at 25, 30 cents, that would imply to you that the value of the equity is worth zero. Yet there was all this equity value. And I think the SEC stepped in saying that, look, we're trying to make sure that people understand uh, that there's a lot of risk to this equity. Um, you know, and that unsecured debt, which was at 35, is now trading around 25 cents. So the secured debt is going to be fine. It's really going to be the unsecured. And for that to have value, Hertz has got to start operating again where people are coming in and renting cars. The problem is very few people are going away on vacation and are renting cars or are traveling and are renting cars on the business side. So I think it's going to take a little bit longer. You talked a little bit about uh, this cycle, and I, I want you to drill down maybe a little bit more. You and I are about the same age. We've seen a bunch of these. How does this rank or rate compared to other cycles that you've worked through? Sure. Um, look, I think today, I know you're not supposed to say this, but it's like a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You really, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime, but it happened 10 years ago also. So, <laughs> But I, I would say you're not going to see this again. Um, where you've actually got an economy that's fine um, and you've got a Fed pumping trillions of dollars in where really the issue is how long does it take for things to turn? So I think for us, um, you've got an opportunity to invest at a senior level and do extremely well. So you'll either get paid out or you're going to end up owning the equity of this company. You know, I mean, retail investors who are listening to this might say, geez, how do I get involved in this? I mean, because it's a hedge fund, so it's only for qualified investors, even if you're accepting new money. I don't know if you are right now, but it's hard for average investors to get into this arena, isn't it? Yeah, it is, actually. Um, I mean, I think the only way they can do it is by investing with someone like us, you know, people who are doing what we're doing. Um, I think the only other way you could do something like this is really to sort of play a little bit in the high yield market where, um, you know, there that's liquid and you'll be able to take advantage of it a little bit. It's just for high yield market, they're not really coming in at the levels we come in, right? They're going to, they're doing more of the new issues where those issues are being priced anywhere between eight to 12%. I think for someone, you know, for someone like us, we're not buying those. Really, what we're trying to do is buy debt that's trading anywhere between 30 to 60 cents on the dollar. You talked about the economy being OK, but of course, you know, that's for now and it might not be OK six months from now. You could I guess you could always say that. But right now in particular, what's your assessment of how uh, President Trump and Congress, I guess, have handled this crisis? Well, I think they've actually done a really good job um, in getting the in sort of the stimulus checks and getting money to folks. 
Um, so I think that part's been good. I think the Fed is doing an excellent job in providing liquidity into the system. So all that is positive. The problem is really, it's just really simple. You've got 40 million Americans that are, un, that are out of work. So, um, you know, how long are you going to be able to keep on making those unemployment benefits? So sooner or later, people come off of that. And if they don't have their jobs back, that's actually going to have a real impact on the economy because two-thirds of GDP is consumer spending. So if people are out of work, they're not spending money. You know, the, the fear I have is simply that for companies, because of what's happened, we've all found, and look, you and I are doing it right now, um, everything is being done remotely, right? So that how many people are you going to hire back? Are you hiring back? You know, 50% of your workforce? Are you hiring back 60, 70, 80? I don't think anybody's hiring back 100% of their workforce. So if you sort of think of that, you're going to have a, you're still going to have an unemployment rate that's going to be somewhere in the high single digits or low teens. I mentioned that you're a backer of uh, Joe Biden. So what would Joe Biden do differently, Mark? Well, I think Joe Biden's going to do the same thing that's happening today, which is make sure the Fed is providing that stimulus. Um, depending on where we are, um, you know, come November, either things are looking better for the economy, um, and by then we'll have a clear idea of who's gone back to work, what's happening, how long is the reopening taking. So I think if you have all of that, you know, the question is, are you going to need another stimulus package? I don't know, um, but I think, you know, that'll be figured out at that time. The problem for Joe Biden, to be blunt, is he's not going to be president until January. So I don't think there's going to be much that he's going to be able to do in the next six months. Is that a prediction? I mean, you sound you sound confident, perhaps, or he's ahead in the polls. What do you think? No, I think it's hard. Um, it's hard for Trump to win. Um, I think part of it is you know, Trump needs two things for really to happen. He needs uh, the economy to get back on its feet. Um, by election day or before, um, I think that's going to be hard. Um, I just don't see that. So I think that's number one. Number two, um, you sort of need people to be out, right? You need the reopening of the country. I think they pushed for that. And now we're seeing the repercussions of that. So I think you're going to find that people are going to be a lot slower in coming back. Um, so that's going to have an impact. So you know, I, I just think it's very hard for him to win because of all these factors that are going on. How is the fundraising going? Because at one point, of course, the president was way ahead. Now it seems like Joe Biden's picked up some steam. Um, fundraising is actually going great for Biden. I think you're going to find that in June they raised in excess of $100 million. Um, it's going very well. Look, I think part of it, you know, when Trump came into office, it was more about you know, change and sort of how he was going to do things that were different. I think right now, that's the same thing. You know, the biggest problem an incumbent has is do people want change? You know, ultimately, it's really a simple question. Are you happy with the way things are? Right. Mm -hmm. If you are, then you're going to stick and you're going to vote for Donald Trump. If you're not, then you're going to vote for Joe Biden. I get the sense that the majority of people are just not happy with the way things are or believe that change will be good.
My understanding is you were a supporter of Kamala Harris early on. Yep. Should Joe Biden should Joe Biden pick her as the VP? Yeah, hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think it'd be great, but you know, again, that's one man's opinion. Right, and and President Obama seems to be getting more actively involved. Um, is that something you're? You, you think is going to we're going to be seeing more of that? I mean, at one point he was maybe reluctant to get involved, and now it appears that he's stepping up. I think you're going to see him get much more involved. You know, the problem is um, people don't really focus on the election till September, right? It's just you've got the summer, you've got all these issues going on. Um, the election is still far away. So I think come after Labor Day, um, you know, we're all going to have to start dealing with a lot of these issues. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, are we all going back into the city to work? Um, are people right now, I think people are doing more remotely, but as sort of the summer is over, right? And, you know, I think when we all look around, you can see that restaurants and everything are full because everybody's outside. Um, but as that starts changing, that's going to start having an impact. And I think people will start focusing on the election and whether there should be a change or not. So I think you'll start seeing Obama uh, get much more active, you know, at the beginning, in the beginning of September. I want to shift gears a little bit and ask you about the NDA, of course, um, which has uh, just been a really fascinating and must be kind of difficult thing to wrestle with as, yeah. as an owner. Um, so cases in the state of Florida are on the rise in the county where the NBA plans to return next month. How confident are you that you guys are actually going to be able to play these games? I think we're very confident. Um, I think part of it is you've got to sort of understand what's being created is a village. So um, nobody's leaving that village. Like think of it as an Olympic village. You come in, it's a bit of a cocoon, a cocoon. So um, you'll come in, you're going to get tested every other day. Um, it, it'll be very, very hard for people to contract. Doesn't mean they won't. Um, obviously, people will get sick or will get the virus. But ultimately, at the end of the day, I don't think, I, I think the way it's being set up, it will be very, very safe for the players. Um, you know, so I actually think it'll be safer than it is if you're sort of, you know, if, for us here in New York or in Westport or wherever you are, um, mainly because it's going to be a controlled environment. How are you communicating with the players and the coaching, coaches and the staff? Um, well, actually through Zoom, like what you and I are doing, or, or just calling them up on the phone. Um, it's actually we have a bunch of Zoom calls. Um, so anybody wants to talk about issues, so we're doing that. Um, that seems to work actually pretty well right now. And are they fully on board? What's the mood? Is there a consensus? Do you have a sort of an active dialogue? Some people are saying we want to be safe. We're not coming. We're not going to go to Florida. What is the temperature? I, I think the vast majority are going to Florida. I think the vast majority feel very safe and feel very comfortable. What we've said is that if anybody feels uncomfortable, they shouldn't come. There's no... There's no pressure on you to come if you're, you know, if, for whatever reason, if you've got a, you know, if you think it's you don't want to take the risk personally or 
Um, you know, you've got a family member that has issues and for whatever reason, again, you don't want to take that risk. Everybody is fine with that, right? Uh, we're letting players uh, make up their own mind. Um, and the players union actually has voted that, you know, they're comfortable with it and everybody's agreed on what we're doing. Have any of the players or coaches or maybe people even at Avenue become interested in understanding how um, vaccines are being developed or how the coronavirus is being fought with therapeutics? How into it are people? Um, I think it depends on the individual. Um, I, I think you've got a lot of folks who just want more information. And I think for that, um, we provide that information. But I think it's individually. Um, you know, some people, I think it's like a cross-section of America. Some people are not that worried. Some people are, are sort of worried and some people are very worried, right? It, I, I think a lot of it, you know, to be honest with you, depends on the issues that you have or that fam family members have. If you don't have any issues, um, you're less worried about it. And if you do have issues, you're much more worried about it. Another part of um, society that uh, we've all been following and have been involved with um, is the racial, racial justice issues, um, social justice. You participated in a protest with your players. How um, are you incorporating the lessons from this and what you do at Avenue or with the Bucks? Well, I think for us, really what we're trying to do is make more people aware of what we can do on the social justice side. So for us, um, my family and I flew out to Milwaukee so that we could support our players, but in essence also support social justice. And we thought it was important for us um, as an organization and as a family to be part of that. And that was the reason why we did it. Um, I think for us, we're, we're a little bit more attuned to it simply because we already had a player, Sterling Brown, who had some similar issues a number of years ago. Um, so we've gotten very, very involved in trying to bring about change and social justice in Milwaukee and around the country. Did this whole movement surprise you? Um, I think what has surprised me is uh, the adoption by so many Americans. And I think that's actually great that um, I think you've seen actually a real shift in how people now view this and that people actually want to bring about change. So that's what surprised me. Um, I would not have thought if you had asked me beforehand that that was the majority of Americans. I would have thought that that was, you know, you were trying to bring change and you were trying to inform people about that. I think what's been great is seeing that the vast majority of Americans are in favor of this. The NBA is reportedly working on a plan, Mark, where it would allow players to put a, a protest on their jerseys in lieu of their names, I think. Is that something that, say, um, Giannis might do, and would you encourage him to do that? Oh, I think that's an individual choice. I mean, I really do. I think at the end of the day, um, you know, what I'm a big believer in is your, your freedom of expression, your, your ability to say what you think. And so I think if Giannis or if any of the players, um, 
you know, believe in something and they want to express that, they should. So I'm in full support of that. Is there any sort of consensus message that you think the team is going to send or is it just going to be purely up to the individuals? Um, I don't know yet. I think part of that is, I think that's way too early. Um, I, I think it would be nice if as a team, everybody wanted to do and try to uh, bring about a specific message. But I think that'll be figured out over the course when everybody gets down to Orlando and that'll happen sometime um, over the course of the next two to three weeks. What about reparations? Is that something that you've given much thought to? No, not not really. It's not a subject I know that much about. Um, so it's something that I would actually have to learn a lot more about. So I apologize for that. That's and let me ask you a, a question or two about your background, because it, it's fascinating. I mean, your family came over from Morocco when you were seven. And how has that influenced your view of the United States, maybe, and your worldview? Look, I think part of it for me um, and for my sisters is I, I think we're the luckiest people that we were able to come to the United States. Um, I think it's the greatest country in the world. I don't think um, I would have been able to do or accomplish what I've done anywhere else. Um, so I'm, I'm just a huge believer in that I won the lottery by being able to come here. And sort of a lot of what I try to do is try to help others to make sure that they can have the same opportunity. And for me, that was really education. I mean, um, you know, we were lucky enough that we had parents um, were pretty strict and uh, were very forceful about us making sure we did our work because um, they couldn't afford to pay for school. So ultimately, the end day, we all went to um, college and law schools on scholarship. And I think, um, you know, I just don't know if you would have been able to do that somewhere else. I mean, here in the United States, uh, that ability to do that, um, I think, um, gave me a huge leg up. And sort of my focus has been to try to give people that same opportunity on the education side. Yeah, President Trump just issued an executive order putting a hold on work visas, including the H-1B for skilled workers. What's your reaction to that, Mark? Um, look, I, I think at the end of the day, I don't think that's positive. Um, I think you want to have those workers here. I think it's beneficial. Um, my understanding is for from the vast majority of companies um, that they oppose that, that I don't think uh, it helps them. Um, you know, and the, the, the idea or the belief behind it is by doing that, it's going to force American companies to hire American workers. Um, I, I, I think in a number of specific industries, um, there just aren't that many American workers who are willing to do it or who had the technical capabilities, doesn't mean you can't train them. But I think if that's something you wanted to do, um, it would have been far better to say, look, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this in two years and three years. So get ready for that and start training Americans to do that job, if that was the intent of it. Um, otherwise, I think it's just, again, putting American businesses at a bit of a disadvantage. You mentioned your family and your sisters, and you founded or co-founded Avenue with a sister. What is it like running a multi-billion-dollar hedge fund as a family business? Um, look, I, 
I, I don't think we really think about it. I think my uh, my sister and I get along extremely well. Uh, the reason is pretty simple. Um, you know, when you share a room with your siblings till you go to college, you either get along really well or you hate each other. It's not, it's not really that complicated. And I, I think for Sonia and I, we have very different skill sets. Um, and because of that, those skill sets work very well together. Um, and the fact that obviously, because we're brother and sister, we trust each other implicitly. Uh, but I don't think I could do what she does. So I think for me, having her as my partner and you know the fact that we started the firm together um, has been a godsend. Um, I don't think we could have done it without her. So it's been great for me. Hopefully she says the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to check on that. What have you been doing during the quarantine to stay sane, to keep yourself going? What patterns of behavior have you changed? What are you doing differently? Um, I think the only big difference is I think, you know, we we have a house here in Westport. So we all came to our house. Um, you're sort of working, you know, you'll start your day at eight in the morning and you'll finish um, with all the calls, you know, usually around sort of five. Um, I try to play tennis every day for a couple hours. Um, so that's sort of my workout. I, I look forward to that. Um, look, I think the great thing for us is we've got our whole family together. So I think that's actually been really nice. Um, I think it's time we, I don't think we would have been able to spend. Um, so having everybody together for three months, um, I think is exceptionally positive. Um, there's some negatives that you get a bit on each other's nerves um, because you can't really go away. But I think all in all, it's been uh, extremely positive. And last question, Mark, this show is called The Influencers. And I'm wondering if you considered how you'd like to use your influence on the world? Uh, look, I think at the end of the day, really what we all try to do uh, is we, you know, and I know it sounds a little trite, but we do try to make it a better place. So I, I think for me, um, what I would love to do is, you know, to let people know, look, this is a great country. And if you work really hard and you know, that there are a lot of opportunities for you, so I know at times it's really difficult and things look really bleak, um, but you know my view is perseverance and hard work usually wins out. So that would sort of be my message, but thank you. All right, Mark Lazary, CEO of Avenue Capital and co-owner of the Milwaukee Bucks. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your time. Take care, bye-bye. You've been watching Influencers. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll see you next time.